You never know what's going to happen when you go through a door. We began all the places to go, God's will. How will you know last week? And I told you the story of Mr. Ronald Reed. Mr. Ronald Reed passed away. He lived his life in a small New England town. And at age 92, he was worth $8 million. And nobody knew that much about him other than he pinned his coat together when it got cold in the wintertime. He didn't like to put quarters in parking meters. He sat on $8 million. And I asked you if you got to spend some time with him a week before he died, is there a question that you would have asked him? I said, my question would have been, did you ever think about an adventure? Did you ever think about going somewhere, doing something, going through a door that would take you to places that you never dreamed about? And then as I reflected upon that, I wondered if in the last days of my life, if God were to ask me that question, what I would say after he had poured out a fortune of time into my life, a fortune of resources and gifts into my life. Did I spend it passionately looking for his will, searching out what is it that you've created me for? Who did you create me to be? Did I use my time wisely to figure out his will for my life. John Orberg writes, every morning is an open door. Every moment can become one. Some of us see the doors and seize them. And so life becomes a divine adventure. Some of us shrink back or fail to see. A room with no door is a prison. To fail to embrace the open door is to miss the work God has made for us to do. If we want to experience more of the Spirit of God in our lives, we need to train ourselves to look for and respond to moments of divine opportunity. People who study our lives say that in a 70-year lifespan, we make almost 2 million choices. A cumulative total of 2 million choices. And of course, some of those choices are simple. You stand in in an aisle at Target or Kmart or a grocery store, and you try to figure out if you're going to change your toothpaste. And you ponder and you look at what's available, and then you think about maybe that one there that's blue with the little white strip things that that are inside of the blue gel. Maybe that's what I'll switch to. And you make a, a huge toothbrushing decision. It's really kind of simple. But what about those larger decisions that that change everything about the future that help you to know and to see that this open door is is from God himself saying, step through this. Not all the answers will be given, but step through this door and I'll show you things that will change everything and that will change you. Rascal Flatts wrote a song a while back. It's called When the Sand Runs Out. We used it here for a a video that we did about four or five years ago. I spent the morning at an old friend's grave. Flowers, an amazing grace. He was a good man. He spent his whole life spinning his wheels, never knowing how the real thing feels. He never took a chance or took the time to dance. And I stood there thinking as I said goodbye, today is the first day of the rest of my life. I'm going to stop looking back 
and start moving on and learn how to face my fears. Love with all of my heart. Make my mark. I want to leave something here. Go out on a ledge without any nets. That's what I'm going to be about. Yeah, I want to be running when the sand runs out. Yeah, I want to be running when the sand runs out. We, we hear songs like that and, and they make our heart beat fast and we hear words like that and we go, yeah, that's, that's what I need to do. I know I need to do that. And we resonate so deeply and intimately. But do we really internalize that truth? Do we really make the choice to go through the door? The reason those songs impact our lives so much, the reason that song that Troy sang impacts our lives so much is because God made us that way. God made us to to listen to him. God made us to know him. And God made us to make the choices that are most significant for our lives now and in the future. Let me take you, as I like to say, let me take you back to a time and a and a time's time this morning. The year is 60 AD. A man named Paul is in a prison in Rome. Theologians debate whether he was there in two stints or if it was just one long time in jail from 60 to 68 AD. Whether it was two times with a period off in the middle or whether it was the whole eight years, he was still in jail for a long time. But while he was there in Rome in jail, we find that he was excited about his life. We find that he was exuberant. He was living the life that God had called him to live. And so every day for him was a new adventure. And it was an opportunity to write a letter and tell somebody about it. Remember, he he started out with his life going in the direction of squashing the movement that Jesus had begun with his disciples. He was, he was bringing people down and he was moving them off to the side. And, and some of those were very, very difficult times in people's lives. But he didn't care because he was Saul and he knew what was right and he knew what he believed. But then on the road to Damascus, his whole life changes dramatically. It goes 180 out the other way. He meets Jesus Christ. Jesus calls him to an open door and he doesn't know really what's on the other side of that door yet. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, he was blind. and He couldn't even see. But then God instructs him. God teaches him along the way. He becomes passionate about this message of Jesus Christ. He becomes totally invested with every ounce of ability and gift and strength that he has. This is what he will give himself to. It doesn't matter if he's traveling the Mediterranean Sea area, meeting with people, or if he's in prison somewhere. This is his life. This is his hope. This is who he is all about and what he's all about. And so he writes this, we call it Ephesians chapter 3. It's a letter to this young church. And this section of the letter allows you to hear the heartbeat of Paul from inside of a jail cell. Ephesians 3. This is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called, I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I have written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. 
Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. So he's saying, time out. Everything has changed here. Before in history, we thought that, that this, this message from God about his personal love toward humanity was encapsulated into this one group of people who were carrying this message. The Israelites who had come out of slavery in Egypt, the Israelites who had come into the promised land, the Israelites who were waiting for the Messiah to come. And then Paul goes, I have come to know it's so much bigger than that. God loves everyone. God wants everyone to know him. It's not a segregated thing. It's a everybody all in thing. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And that is this amazing truth that Paul was carrying to these towns that he went to, to these early churches that he went to. This is the debate that that he brought into Athens when he was there debating with people who didn't know or understand what God was doing. And then he says this, this is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise. Well, you can bet it was a surprise when he gets knocked off his horse and suddenly he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. A real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. Always remained very humble. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Before time even began, God had this love for everyone. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my presence trouble on your behalf. Don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Don't be sad that I'm in prison. Don't worry about me. Be proud. We are called to do some amazing things as God opens these, these doors before us. My response, here he is, he's in prison. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask, I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, 
you'll be able to take in, with all followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. You just hear the excitement in his words. God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gentle within us. Now there's that verse 19, reading from the message, where it says, reach out and experience the breath, test test its length, plumb the depths. And you miss something in that translation that is picked up a little more closely in the New International Version. So allow me to read verses 17 through 20 in the NIV. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And in that last section, verse 20, verses 19 and 20, the word hyper is used three times. It's the only place I know of in the New Testament where it says hyper, hyper, hyper. Now we use the word hyper today when we talk about children. Thank you. Thank you. We use that's a hyper kid. That kid is hyper. If that kid doesn't stop being hyper, I'm going to lose it. So that's how we use the word. But here in the New Testament, it says surpasses knowledge. It means hyper. It goes way beyond anything that you could ever know. It goes way beyond any, any specific tangible knowledge information that you have. This love of Christ surpasses, surpasses knowledge. And then it's immeasurably more, hyper, hyper, immeasurably. You can't put a ruler on it. You can't put dimensions on it. It is hyper beyond anything you could you could quantify. It's unquantifiable. It is so big and so huge. It's overwhelming. Hyper, 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 writes Paul. But the most interesting word of all that Paul has written in this chapter to me is when it says to grasp. They have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. I'd like to ask my friend, Captain Bob Gant, active duty U.S. Navy, to come up here right now. Let's give him a hand. Captain Bob Gant. Now, the, word, the word is grasp, and so you think it means, don't be afraid of me, Bob. You think it means I give Bob this book, and he grasps it, because that's what it, we would think it would mean in English, right? You think that? You grasp the book? Okay, I need this later, so thank you. But let me show you what Paul wrote when he said to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is what he wrote. This is what it says. This is what he meant. I am not going to let you go. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay with you the rest of your life. Where you go, I go. Where you serve, I serve. You'll have to explain it to your wife somehow. I don't know how you'll do that. 
But this is, I just, I'm grasping this and holding on to it. I can't let go because if I let go of this, I'm not going to be a person. Thank you. That's what Paul wrote, that you're going to hold on to this with all you have, with all the strength you have, with all the power you have, with all the, the wisdom that you can muster. You don't get all the answers. It surpasses knowledge. So many debates are about, give me the answer. Who made God? Give me the answer. How did we get here on this planet? Give me the answer. It's not about an answer. It's about a love that surpasses any answer. God has loved us in Jesus Christ. And if you invite him into your life, then that love lives in you and through you. And he asks you to grasp that. I want to talk to you about open door people and closed door people. Closed door thinking, Ortberg says, may disguise itself as prudence or common sense. But it's really a refusal to trust God because of fear. Well, if I went through that door, I don't know, that's kind of scary. I'll say the safe no instead of the risky yes. Well, if I, if I invested that much of who I am and what I have, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of risky. This feels uncomfortable. I'd be afraid to see that much change happen in my life. You see, the closed door thought disguises itself as prudence or common sense, but it's really just a refusal to trust God because of fear. Closed door thinking is David's brother saying, Goliath can't be fought, can't take the giant down. Closed door thinking is everyone telling Joshua and Caleb that they can't go into the promised land because of what they saw and it's time to turn back. There's big wrestlers in that land. They're going to wrestle us to the mat, and it's going to be over. There's no way. We we appear to be like bugs in their sight. Grasshoppers is the word that's used. We feel like grasshoppers. They're going to step on us. It's over. Can't do it. Can't. Close the door. Let's go back to Egypt. Closed door thinking is the rich young ruler thinking that following Jesus sounds too expensive. What? Sell everything I have, give it to the poor, come follow you. That's going to make me poor. Well, that's exactly what I had in mind. Kind of nice talking to you. I've got a few appointments this afternoon, some businesses I'm going to be starting. Closed door thinking is thinking that following Jesus sounds too expensive. Closed door thinking is us when we choose silence over speaking the truth in love. And sometimes hearing the truth in love is hard. And sometimes engaging truth in a context of God's love and grace is hard. And so we close the door and we are silent. One of my favorite quotes in the book is this. Closed door thinking looks safe, but it's the most dangerous thinking of all because it leaves God on the other side of the door. 
look safe, but it's not. If God's on the other side, then you possibly have missed everything. Let me give you the characteristics of open door people. Because my hope is that your life will be described by these characteristics. Open door people are ready, ready or not. The truth about being ready is you'll never be ready, right? Truth about being ready is how are you ever ready? Life doesn't come at you that way. When I was learning how to drive a tractor trailer, I wasn't ready. I'm out on Route 80 driving through Pennsylvania. They should have put everybody in Pennsylvania on alert. I'm driving a tractor trailer. I have no idea how this thing runs. I'm coming up to a toll booth where I got to pick up a ticket. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't know how to slow this thing down. I don't know how to start it up. And the, the guy who was training me was asleep in the sleeper cab. You talk about a moment of prayer, you got one right there. You know, and I was a young Christian and I'm praying, you know, and, and if you got to pray and say, God, how do I shift these gears? How, how does the, the, the dual rear axle electronic thing, how does that work now? Can you, God, be in my left leg with the, with the clutch. Be in my left leg with the clutch. With the clutch. Ah, oh, you're not ready. Then, then suddenly it kind of flows and, and you get ready. And the, the truck and you become one. And I've had that experience. Troy talked about this week, he and Jessica are having a little girl named Faith. They're going to need faith with that little girl. That, that little girl is going to do things they never thought the little girl was going to do, say things they never thought the little girl was going to say. That little girl is going to grow up. Are they ready? They're not ready. They're going to be ready. And, and all of life comes at us that way. And an open door person says, I know I'm not ready, but I know somehow I'll grow into being ready. And so open door people are ready Ready or not. They should say that in the marriage vows. Ready or not, here I come. <laughs> Number two, open door people are unhindered by uncertainty. Orberg puts it this way, open door people are comfortable with ambiguity and risk, or if not comfortable with it, they at least decide not to let it paralyze them. There's so much ambiguity in life. There's so much uncertainty about so many things. And, and you, you feel that in your life a lot. I feel that in my life a lot. And that's why we like schedules and things and, and, and things that, that happen at the same time, the same place, the same way. And we have schedules and we have them on our phone and we have them in little books and we write things down. And then life somehow jumps out of the schedule. It jumps off the page. All of a sudden it shifts and it changes, but open door people are unhindered by uncertainties. There's lots of uncertainty in our lives, but we don't have to be afraid of it because Jesus said, I'm with you all the way through this. I'm with you. You're never going to be alone wherever you are. Paul, you're in prison in Rome. You didn't sign up for prison in Rome, did you, when I knocked you off your horse outside of Damascus, but I'm with you still. We're together in this. Open door people are blessed to bless. 
Orberg says it this way, one of the deepest needs of the human soul is that others should be blessed by our lives. And so open door people, when they see an opportunity to bring a blessing into somebody's life or a family's life or a neighborhood's life, they go through the door because they know this is an opportunity for me to bring the touch of God into this moment. So the other day I get an email from one of our church members and she's been in contact with this agency in, in Norfolk and they've asked her if, if our church would do three Friday mornings in July in an inner city public school program, kids that are going to summer school, about 400 plus kids, but in the morning they do all these activities and games and you read stories to them. And, and, but would our church bring 19 minimum, 38 maximum volunteers and so we would take care of all the staffing needs with the program. So we'll read the kids, we'll play with kids, we'll, we'll spend time with these kids in whatever way they ask us to. She says, do you think we could get approved to do that? I said, you're approved. I'm not asking anybody. I don't need a committee. I don't need to call a meeting. We're approved. Because if we can't get... 19 to 38 people to go 25 miles down the road to bless some other people, we might as well shut it down. As a matter of fact, if we don't get 19 to 38 people, that first Saturday morning, I'll be knocking on your door. I will drag you out in your pajamas. I will blindfold you, throw you in the van and say, you will be blessed and be a blessing if I have to kill you. Whoa, there's not even a question. You know, my whole heart has been in, in urban ministry since the beginning because there's just so, so much opportunity in the city, so many people, so many kids, so much opportunity. So, yeah, we're going to do three Fridays in July. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know who's going to do it. We had three people sign up after the first service. We only need 16 to 35 now. You know, we're going to get this thing done because open door people are blessed to bless. When you, with your life, and you don't have to raise money, buy a plane ticket, pack your lunch. You can go 30 minutes, for, then spend three hours, drive back 30 minutes. You spent four hours of your life, and you changed a kid's life. Is there any question about that? Open door people resist and persist. Orberg, open door people resist discouragement in the face of obstacles and persist in faithfulness despite long periods of waiting, or I will add, despite sometimes long periods of a variety of difficulties. But open door people go, this is just part of the way it happens. I will resist and persist and I will keep on going. Open door people have fewer regrets. We begin our lives regretting the wrong things we have done, Orberg writes, but we end them regretting the open doors we never went through. And he's got this great story that I could not pass up reading to you this morning. A few months into our marriage, while I was still in grad school, I got a phone call telling me I was being offered a fellowship to study overseas for a year. That sounds great, right? Fellowship to study overseas for a year. I told Nancy and then asked a series of questions. Would the classes count toward my degree? No. Would it take me longer to graduate if we went? Yes. Would there be enough money to travel on? 
No. Would anyone at the school be waiting for us? No. Would Nancy have to work? Yes, as a maid. I hung up the phone thinking Nancy and I had a lot of pros and cons to weigh about this decision. But when I went in to talk with her about the details, I found that she had already packed. That's when I realized I was married to a woman of the open door. Her default is set to yes. God is doing something magnificent in this world. When a door is opened, count the costs. Weigh the pros and cons. Get wise counsel. Look as far down the road as you can. But in your deepest heart, in its most secret place, have a tiny bias in the direction of yes. Cultivate a willingness to charge through open doors all the time. God changes our lives that way. We have fewer regrets when we come to the end. Open door people learn about themselves. You learn what you can do that you thought you couldn't do. You learn what your limitations are. It's good for all of us to know our limitations. Open door people are not paralyzed by their imperfection. We're all imperfect in some way. All of us, we all just have things about our lives that we wish we could change or we wish, you know, I was more this way than that way or why do I think like that? Open door people are not paralyzed by their imperfection. It doesn't stop them from going through a door to see what's on the other side where God is. And open door people are what if people. What if we did this? What if we tried that? What if together we became a church that said, God, whatever it takes, whatever you ask, we'll show up. We'll get it done. This is, this is what God has called us to. He's called us to open door living, to what if living. The only other side to that is living that plays it safe which ends up being very boring and you get very bored doing that. Every opportunity in my life that I've had to go through an open door, God has profoundly met me on the other side and taught me something I really needed to know about myself and about people and about the future. It's the only way this really works. Paul knew it. He knew that even in prison, God had given him open doors to keep talking about the message that changes everything. God can do anything, you know, he wrote. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams, he wrote from prison. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. I'm going to stop looking back, start moving on, and learn how to face my fears. Love with all of my heart and make my mark. I want to leave something here. Go out on a ledge without any net. That's what I'm going to be about. Yeah, I want to be running when the sand runs out. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people.
to grasp, to grasp and hold on to for, for all your worth. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that's never going to let you go. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. My prayer is that you'll live the open door life. My prayer is you'll go through and find yourself in a new world, a world that's ordered by God's love and grace, and he's using you to bring a blessing of his love and grace to somebody else. My prayer is that the open door will not scare you, but it will excite you. My prayer is that your open-minded heart would be willing to say, God, whatever, whatever, what if I went, what if I gave, what if I followed? Because it's the only way God knows that changes us. Open door people. Together, it changes everything. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, we pray that we'll get excited and passionate about the open doors that are, that are in front of us. Father, there's an open door today that scares somebody. It's got them shut down. Father, help them to to assuage that fear. Help them to take that first step, put their hand on the knob of that door and open it so they can meet you on the other side. Father, there are open doors that are big challenges right now for, for us as a church. Father, give us the corporate courage to step through and to do your bidding in the world today. Father, allow us to, to see what now only you can see. Allow us to accomplish what you have assigned for us to accomplish. Father, allow Paul's words from a prison cell 2,000 years ago to resonate deeply inside of us today, that we might live this open door life to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.